Greetings, and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show where I collect my hand-picked stories in InfoSec, technology, and humanity, and talk about why they matter. You can subscribe to the Companion Newsletter, which also functions as the show notes, at danielmeisler.com newsletter. All right, this is episode 52. Sorry about last week. Uh, the podcast audio was uh, messed up. I actually posted episode 50 in place of episode 51. So for anyone who got it through like a podcasting app, they basically just heard the previous week's episode, which is uh, unfortunate. I did fix it, but it was already kind of broken and propagated. So that's unfortunate. But um, hopefully this week we'll not have that problem. So let's get started with the news. Information security first. The Islamic State has called for terror attacks tomorrow. Um, well, almost tomorrow. It's basically Sunday night now. And uh, they're basically calling for attacking voters. Uh, so going physically in person and, and doing physical attacks. They're not really talking about cyber. They're talking about, you know, kinetic, actual physical attacks. Um of course, this is their typical style is to do this in a very decentralized way, which means they're basically mobilizing individuals and extremely small groups, as opposed to kind of an Al Qaeda like big campaign deal. Um, but it is worth noting that they they have actually called for it and and called their people to to uh, execute something. So we'll we'll see if that if that does actually happen. Uh, mass surveillance is set to become much stronger in the UK due to new uh, parliament parliamentary approvals on uh, mass surveillance. So basically, they're they're kind of going all in. I mean, they've kind of already been there. I, I was there just a few weeks back, and the the cameras are are fairly ubiquitous. It's uh, it's it's all over the place, but they're looking to basically organize, centralize, and sort of authorize in a very central and very core sort of way with as much approval as possible. So uh, it looks like whatever level they're at, they're going to up-level and, and even have more, which is interesting. I, I, I like the idea of being able to monitor and deter, um, but I also like the idea of privacy. So, I, I mean, or in their case, privacy. Um, I, I really do think it's a trade-off, and uh, I'm not sure what the right mix is, and I'm not sure anyone knows what the right mix is, but it'll be interesting to see what results they do get. Portswigger's James Kettle just significantly advanced automated web testing. So um, I did a post about this. A very very interesting. So uh, James is one of the uh, one of the main people over there at Portswigger, and he basically built into the Burp scanner a way to send a request, send a probe, get a response back, and based on the response, send a follow up set of probes that are basically somewhat customized for based on the first thing that they got back. 
And then from there, um, be able to determine whether or not manual work would be useful or not. So, so the idea is you're, you're getting much closer to real manual testing um, or at least supplementing real manual testing with this sort of follow-up technique uh, that they're using. Really, really fascinating stuff. It's like the best, uh, I would say the best web application scanning or web application automation testing um, sort of breakthrough to come out in, I would say, five or 10 years. I don't know that for sure, but I, I would say that's my my gut feeling is that this is that major because normally requests are just super dumb. You, know, you have this really basic query and it's, it's very, uh, it's, you know, single duplex. It, it just kind of goes out. Um, well, it's not a duplex issue. It's a context issue. So, I mean, you send out a request, you get back the response and you kind of look at the response and you take a guess at how vulnerable it is based on that. But in order to have a follow-up, oh, I saw this, therefore I'm going to send this. And because I saw that, now I'm going to send something else. That dialogue, that is normally a very manual thing. Um, so this is definitely moving that forward quite a bit. Uh, very exciting. And uh, I've got a link to the right up there. Computer virus forces numerous UK hospitals to shut down. So like hundreds of operations were canceled. Uh, really interesting news, especially with all this IoT stuff going on. Uh, this was a computer virus. This was probably ransomware related, I'm guessing. Um, but the, the fact that malware was able to stop, you know, healthcare from being administered to hundreds of people, it's it's another example of the the cyber conversation moving a lot stricter towards or a lot further towards the um, the safety issue, the safety conversation. So, I mean, the, the closer you get to physical safety and physical harm and, you know, bad things happening to humans, the more we're going to see change. And the farther away you are from that, where it's more abstracted, the more people are just going to talk about it and write articles and, you know, be pundits or whatever. But as you start affecting you know, car safety, um, automated cars, you know, someone's crashing into someone else. You're cutting out brakes on the freeway. Like these sorts of things, especially when someone actually gets injured, those are going to actually drive change. Uh, the DDoS on the internet will raise attention, but not quite to the same effect as actually harming someone. So this is getting uh, very close to that because, you know, when you're doing operations or not doing them, you have the potential to make things worse and maybe cause some sort of harm. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how these attacks continue to escalate and eventually cross that line in a very clear way, uh, which will dramatically change our response. <laughs> so uh, Tesco Bank... <clears throat> <clears throat> excuse me, freezes all online transactions 
after money is stolen from 20,000 of their accounts. So like over the weekend, like 20,000 of their users, this is like a bank portion of a retail chain in the UK. And like 20,000 accounts were compromised uh, with money stolen. So they basically just said, okay, take everything offline. We need to figure out what's going on. Interesting uh, to see the follow-up on that. Uh, a team from Carnegie Mellon has figured out how to trick facial recognition software into thinking one face is another, a completely different kind of face, actually, by putting on a pair of cheaply printed, like 22 cents to make, glasses. Like, think of like the old style 3D glasses that are just like super thin and cardboardy. Well, they basically did that with like some patterns on it. You put those on and you, so, so they actually had, uh, so a white male test subject wearing the glasses registered successfully as uh, Mila Jojovic, which I think I pronounced that incorrectly, but um, the chick from Fifth Element. So, and that happened with uh, like 88% accuracy. And an Asian female was able to register with very high uh, consistency as a Middle Eastern male. So uh, maybe there's some work to be done on the whole facial recognition thing, or at least defenses against attacks against it. Microsoft has extended the end of life date for Emmett to July of 2018. Oh, this is another cool one. Adobe researchers have found a way to capture an audio sample from someone, like roughly 20 minutes or so of audio, and then produce an actual text editor for making the person say anything you want. And they actually have a GUI and everything. You just you take out words, you add words, and then you press play, and it sounds exactly as if that person has said that thing. And of course, you don't have a recording of them saying it. This software is able to just use what it knows about your voice to craft you into saying anything. It's unbelievable. Um, it's also a very crazy attack, which is interesting based on the previous story or the one before that. It's, a, it's an attack on voice authentication. So we're adding all these things. We're adding, we're adding face recognition into possibly the the new iPhone. It's already in Samsung devices. Well, that could be tricked because you can become the woman from uh, Fifth Element, and um, and now we can basically capture the voice from someone sitting at a whatever a Starbucks or having a conversation wherever, and we capture their voice for twenty minutes. And of course, that'll go down, I'm sure. And then you could just make them say anything, which if you think about like the movie Sneakers, um, you know, my password is so-and-so. They did a similar attack. So um, now ideally face and voice will not be used by themselves and they shouldn't. And they'd just be part of a suite of things that are being used. But uh, it's very interesting uh, all the same. Uh, Sunflower Labs has raised $2.1 million to build a flying home security system. So it's basically, I mean, the picture looks like, a, you know, a fairly large drone. 
Um, and if you imagine like the drone just like flying around your house, so so first of all, it'll probably have access to the various cameras that are around the house, so we could sort of see through them. I, I, I haven't read it. I, I'm imagining. Uh, plus, it'll have a camera on it itself, but um, it could just kind of hear things. And you could have microphones around the outside of the house or whatever, or it could hear a dog bark or whatever. But it could just kind of f fly up, fly over, record. Um, of course, you have a mobile app. They'd be crazy not to have this. I haven't looked, like I said, but you have a mobile app so you can see through what the drone is seeing. Um, it will suck a lot, though, if someone decides to net that thing or shoot it down or use like EM countermeasures to knock it out of the sky or whatever. Um, cause that sounds ex expensive, but still very cool. Uh, I actually have a chapter that deals with this, uh, quite a bit in, the, the upcoming book, which is not actually a fantasy. All right. Let's see here. IOT security research is now legal through DMCA exemption. So basically, for a very long time, DMCA made it so that you um, you basically weren't allowed to tamper with or tinker with or open, explore, modify, do any sort of that kind of thing with your own stuff. Um, and basically, an exemption just went into place that last two years that allows you to do that. Um, and a bunch of people are working to keep that going. Hopefully, it'll just get renewed permanently because the law was just broken from the start. All right, technology news. Google's DeepMind team is partnering with Blizzard to enhance AI by using the StarCraft II platform. So presumably, they'll have AI playing AI and AI playing humans and just uh, getting better and better sort of using the platform to test their uh, the ability of their ML algorithms to learn. Exciting stuff. Looking to get destroyed in StarCraft II in entirely different ways. Um, Magic Leap is doing some insane stuff, which no one is 100% sure about, in virtual and augmented reality. Uh, so much of it is still secretive and kind of a shadow or whatever but they're raising crazy amounts of money from anyone who goes to see the place. So it's like this office park uh, in like South Florida, I think. And so like this massive park and people walk in, they're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Happy to look at it. They take a look. They're like, how much money can we give you? Um, so that's usually a pretty good indication that they're onto something. Um, I think the leak I have here is to like a wired article, I believe. I can't remember which uh, source it was, but it talks about like giant droids walking around. Like um, it, ultimately it's a VR um, AR headset. Uh, I believe it's AR. It's definitely VR, but um, really interesting. Uh, the big sort of competitors are like the HoloLens from Microsoft and whatever Apple is working on. Uh, Samsung is set to release a new AI assistant with its Galaxy S8 device in 2017. Um, and they're probably trying to make it earlier rather than later in 2017 because they're trying to forget the whole note situation. 
Also, the washing machines situation. Um, I'm waiting for other product lines of theirs to just explode. It's frightening at this point. Whenever I walk up to any sort of Samsung display, I like put up my arms protectively and like tell people to take a few steps back. Um, it looks dumb to people who are in tech, but that's all right. I'm used to that. All right. Uh, the new 64-bit Orange Pi is a quad-core computer for $20. Very, very cool. I think I will get three of these. I don't know what I'll do with them, but you can't have too many quad-core computers that cost $20. I mean, you know what? I'd love to just buy like 20 of them and send them to various countries around the world for like hobbyist groups to work on where $20 is a lot of money. We should do a project around that. Um, Uber has done a major redesign to its app. Uh, it's way cleaner now. It's a lot more simple um, and quite a bit of new functionality. So they're simplifying the ride selection into sections. So Uber Pool and Uber X go under economy. Uber Select and Uber Black go under luxury. They're also recommending places that you might want to go uh, based on what time it is and where you've gone in the past. So instead of having to type it in, it might just be an option to select. They're also going to be showing you friends in the interface so you can sort of coordinate with them. Um, they're also showing estimated arrival times and um, letting you share your uh, the, the uh, estimated time and showing actually your route visually uh, by, by sending a text message to someone. So some pretty cool updates. Um, I actually took Lyft off my phone the other day just because I wanted to be able to tell Siri to get me a ride and have it know which app to use instead of asking me. Um, and I'll probably continue to switch back and forth, but I'll probably get off of that. Um, or I'm, I'm going to use Uber for it for a while. All right, human news. Uh, Elon Musk thinks universal income is the answer to automa automation taking human jobs. That's uh, interesting. Um, actually, I have another topic on that coming up in a second. Um, oh, this is really cool. So a subreddit for Magic the Gathering Um Basically, a magic playing wife um, and expecting mother posts to the magic subreddit that she just lost her 25-year-old husband, and they had met uh, basically through magic and been playing magic the whole time. Then he died. No, I'm not sure how, but she's only 21. He was 25. And uh, the top comment right at the bottom of her post was, know that all over the place. In many different countries and cultures, members of this subreddit will be turning them sideways for your husband the next time they play. Very cool. To me, um, there's nothing more awesome than strangers being nice to other strangers. So, usually Reddit subreddits are 
kind of like they, they could be nasty. They could be cesspools, kind of like a lot of like 4chan or whatever. But um, you often see a good piece of humanity there as well. And this was definitely one of those cases. Um, a new Alzheimer's treatment is based on ultrasonic waves being beamed into the brain, causing plaque removing cells to activate and basically clean up the, uh, the, the tangles that are, that are believed to be causing memory loss. Um, so there was a mice study and mice are a great, turns out lots of things work on mice and don't work on humans. But in the mice studies, 75% uh, of mice uh, that they tested it on got a lot of uh, memory restored. So some people are very optimistic about it. Um, hard to tell a lot with these studies, right? You, you read like 25 of them in like a week. And then you're like, are we going to see any actual progress out of this? But a lot of people supposedly are, are believing that this is one of the larger breakthroughs. So hopefully that is true. A uh, new study shows how the handling of negative emotions is key to well-being. This is uh, interesting. I've got more to say about this around the lines of actually the closing quote. Um, for, for this episode, but the idea here is that if you try to bottle or uh, ignore or otherwise control negative emotions, it could be bad. It actually reminds me of that the recent movie. It was an animated movie about a little girl and like it was up in her brain. Um, I actually can't remember the name of it. Um, anyway, it'll come to me later. But um, it was basically about what's happening in her brain with different emotions. Like, so you have anger and you have happiness and you have sadness. Um, I want to say despicable me. That's not it. Reminds me of that a lot, actually. Mm, crap. That's super annoying me. Um, anyway, let's see. Uh, the, the idea is that when the negative ones come, and this was a big actual topic in the episode or in the movie, was that she actually had to embrace the negativity and sort of let it take its course and pass, um, which is a really interesting concept in, um, in sort of meditation as well. Um, it's not quite the same because you don't really roll around in it and embrace it. You more so just let it go by you um, and observe it and let it pass. But uh, same sort of situation in that you have to let it come and not uh, pretend it's not there. Uh, and this research is basically saying, yeah, if, if you try to do that, it could actually be bad for your health rather than good. So, uh, all right, ideas, trends, and statistics. All right, my thoughts on external forces affecting the election. So I uh, just wrote this up for, uh, um, for an article uh, on some website, uh, media stuff for work. Um, there's some information out there. I'm, I'm going to read this, basically. So there's some information out there um, 
around what are some bad things that can happen on the election time. So I put together a list of points here. Um, there's significant industry consensus that there's a high-level Russian campaign to influence the election. That's number one. Uh, so a lot of people believe that and accept that to whatever degree. It's also fairly clear that it's designed to elect Trump and not Clinton. We can see this by noticing all the Russia-linked leaks that have only negative content about Clinton. Uh, I mean, the idea that they tried really hard and couldn't find anything about Trump and they could only find bad things about Clinton is, uh, is fairly ridiculous. So it seems obvious that the campaigns are for Trump winning. We also know that the state of voting machine security is not great. And recent uh, research has shown this again to be true. There's also general consensus that local election fraud is difficult to make effective at scale uh, just because of statistics. So even if a bunch of different voting machines have issues, it would be really hard to influence the outcome of the race uh, based on that. Just because it's too local, it's too uh, small scale. Uh, this is also true with local campaigns to get uh, people to vote twice or to stop small groups from voting by, you know, being obstructionist or whatever. Those, again, are probably going to happen, but not have very much effect at all. So number six, the most effective means of influencing the election, therefore, um, by my guess, seems to come in the form of controlling the narrative of its legitimacy. So my prediction is that election disruption, if it occurs, could come from a few different angles. Uh, Russia using an information warfare, uh, also known as a uh, like a narrative campaign type deal, to convince the American population that Clinton's campaign illegally influenced the election in her favor, that her team hacked the voting machines, paid the election officials off, and otherwise cheated to win. Um, could be also be Russia using DDoS to cause a fog of war situation where people are confused, frightened, and more likely to believe that the election has been spoiled. Uh, could also be hacktivists or hobbyists using botnets they control to perform DDoS during election day solely for the purpose of making a mark on the important day, uh, like not an actual campaign or state actors or anything. It could just be people messing around and, uh, you know, being kids. Um, ISIS, as we mentioned at the top, uh, could also be launching a physical campaign uh, because they hate both candidates. And they actually said that in their campaign uh, announcement is that they hated both campaigns um, and they thought it was uh, they were basically identical and to attack them both indiscriminately. So uh, these could not happen. They could happen independently or happen in conjunction with each other. Um, if many happen simultaneously, they could add significantly to the perception that the U.S. is under siege or not in control, which could definitely assist with the narrative that the election results should not be accepted. The key here is that there is more than one way to influence an election. For all digital, you could basically hack the results directly. Ours is not. 
if it were possible to convince millions of people to commit voter fraud, you could affect the election that way. That's not really possible. Um, what is possible is controlling what people think about the outcome. Um, it's also possible to get them to hate one candidate or the other. And that's the campaign that's been going on for the last you know, several weeks or maybe months. Who knows? Um, that is the most likely way to affect this is to change either what people think about the candidates beforehand or if the election goes not the way that you want, you convince the American public that it was a farce, it was hacked, and you shouldn't trust the results. I believe if Russia continues its attempts to influence the outcome, this is likely the form that it will take. Narrative creation and control combined with fog of war. Again, this is all speculation, but perhaps and hopefully a more informed, tempered, and less hyperbolic form of it. So that's what I think about the election uh, coming up on Tuesday. All right. Um, my essay on why you should be hiring using evolution thinking instead of design thinking. This is a really interesting one. This is basically... The idea is that uh, design thinking is where HR or some manager thinks they have magic questions and they can find unicorns. And they basically make the whole org use this system and then they ride it all the way. And sometimes it works out and a lot of times it doesn't. And they're like, oh, there's no way we could have known. Evolution theory basically combines lots of diverse candidates and opinions and ideas mixes them and it subjects them to reality and has reality pick the best. So sales teams and uh, investment banking teams, they do this. They basically take the best people from wherever, from whatever pedigree they have, which they just can consider high content of high quality input of, of gene pool or whatever. Um, and genes, by this, I, I don't just mean the people, but I mean like the education, the pedigree, the background, uh, whatever. They throw that all into a mix and they hire dozens or hundreds of them. And they just go through and they look at the percentages. They say, okay, you didn't do very well at all. You're fired. The middle tier probably fire most of them. And they take the top of the top and say, all right, you go on to the next level. So they don't have any opinions and they don't spend any effort really, on figuring out the magic thing. They just throw them in there, and whoever wins, those are the winners. That's evolutionary thinking. So in IT hiring, we are stuck in design thinking. We are stuck where an HR person or a manager thinks they know what the best candidate looks like, and they hire based on their assumptions and their biases. Uh, what we need to do is more work sample type stuff. We need to actually subject people to the job, as many people as possible, which is not always easy, especially hard in tech, actually. But you, you try and you look at the output and you say, that was a good fit. I know because they produced and, you know, they were an excellent employee and they got along with everyone. And I would, and this is what ends up happening is you say, I wouldn't have guessed it, Right. And I've hired dozens, maybe hundreds of people, 
probably high dozens, maybe a hundred people um, over the last like 10 years. And if you're humble at all, if you're smart at all, you will realize how wrong you can be. You will realize that your pet questions and your pet ideas are not necessarily right. And they can be wrong. You could find your perfect person and they end up not to work out at all. And you could have someone who you were just sure is not going to work out and they turn out to be a star. And the evolution thinking way to do this is to test many and see what happens. So the underlying statement here is IT hiring, information security hiring is way too design thinking way too much design thinking and needs to move more towards evolution. All right. Emoticons, emoji, stickers, and GIFs. GIFs. GIFs and GIFs. Um, they represent accelerated language and vocabulary evolution. I'm not going to go into this one. Basically, the idea is that there's languages evolving, especially online. And there is, you should accept this evolution rather than reject it. I'm going to let you read the piece. Apple only has about 10% of smartphone market share, has, but has over 90% of smartphone profits. So over 1,000 companies make smartphones, but only Samsung and Apple actually make profit. Fascinating set of numbers there. Um, four types of performer, clever, diligent, stupid, and lazy. Usually two of the traits are combined. This was a interesting piece. Uh, I'm, I, it was some general, actually. This was some general wrote this like, whatever, 50 or 100 years ago. Hell, maybe a 1,000 years ago. I have no idea. But you should check out this quote um, and check out the analysis. Basically, these pairs... <laughs> you don't want to have certain of these pairs and you want to have some of them. So actually, I remember what they are. So clever and diligent, you basically want to have as, as your main top level staff. Um, clever and lazy, you want to have as your top thinkers, your top like vision people, uh, because they're like the brightest, evidently, according to this model. Um, and at all costs, you want to avoid diligent and stupid because they're likely to just break everything. Um, really interesting. You should check out the full quote and sort of analysis on it. All right. Whose responsibility is it to provide jobs to people? This is a, this is just crazy. Um, I wrote this uh, earlier this weekend. Um, basically, the idea is that there's an assumption in America and probably in Europe as well that companies provide us jobs. This is how it's always been and uh, how it always will be. And the idea is that the underlying assumption, no one really says it, but companies owe us jobs. Um, because obviously they do, because we need jobs. We need jobs. We don't have an economy. We don't have a civilization really without income. So if we can't really have a civilization and a society 
without income, which leads to families, which leads to savings, which leads to spending money, which leads to companies doing well. Like the whole thing is based on jobs um, and it's all based on income. Um, well, where do you get that income when the jobs go away? Or more importantly, the the companies that create the jobs simply don't need to have the jobs anymore because they've been replaced by software and by droids. So the idea is the assumption that jobs are owed to someone by someone is fundamentally broken. Um, the only reason we've had this consistency for the last hundreds or thousands of years is because if you had a business, you needed people. And now we're about to see a situation where businesses do not need people. And if they do, it's only a few. So millions of jobs will go away and it will literally break civilization if we don't adjust it. And the whole, the whole point of the piece is, okay, if it's not companies, if companies don't owe you work, then who does? The government? How's the government going to give you a job when presumably they already have the people that they need to do the work, which are also being transitioned to software and droids? But let's say there's some percentage, which there will be, which is still human. Well, you can't ask them to just spin up more jobs, right? Uh, and also, where's the money going to come from? Let's say that 99% of all human jobs in both government and the private sector are gone because of software and droids. Where's the money coming from? I, I guess the companies are still making that, that wealth and they still have that wealth, but, but you, you can't simply give it out to other people um, because it's, it's, there's a limited supply. So, there's a fundamental problem here that people aren't understanding that no one owes them jobs and the income has to come from somewhere. And that's why people are talking about things like the universal basic income, which has its own issues, um, which you can explore at the link. All right. Recommended links. Uh, I captured and analyzed more Mirai botnet traffic, found some really crazy trends in both credentials and the top countries attacking me. Um, attacking Windows service account passwords using Kerber roasting. Um, so this is a newer version of Kerber roasting that doesn't require Mimikatz. A really cool link there. Service dis uh, discovery at Stripe. Very cool link there. Uh, Maria Popova's 10 learnings from 10 years of brain pickings. Really cool blog and really cool takeaways that she did after 10 years. Uh, using Docker and TCP dump to do host space full packet capture. Fantastic link. Uh, the Docker bench for security is a project that checks for dozens of deployment best practices for production Docker containers. That's awesome. Uh, tips and miscellaneous. Um, so many people I know, including my buddy uh, Sasha, are going crazy for ubiquity Wi-Fi networking gear. Um, I'm not 100% on board yet, but I'm starting to get there because so many people are telling me about it. If you have this stuff and you like it, let me know. 
If you see a reason not to use it, let me know because I'm thinking about redoing my stuff uh, and I want to hear about it. And uh, I think that's it. Uh, so closing quote here. Again, Bertrand Russell, because I love the guy. To be without some of the things that you want is an indispensable part of happiness. I'll read that again. To be without some of the things that you want is an indispensable part of happiness. Bertrand Russell. All right. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to check out the companion newsletter, which also serves as show notes. If you're not already subscribed, you can do so at danielmiesler.com slash newsletter. And if you like the show, please recommend it to your friends and share it on social media. Take care of yourself, and we'll see you next time.